Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. It's that time. It's the insight and Raj is back after I think maybe three or four weeks out. He's been a busy man. Um, what a time to come back. Arsenal-Liverpool, huge game. You've got Teta running down the touchline. Um, if, you're, if this is your first time, listen to the insight. Just to clarify, we're not going to be chanting Arsenal, Arsenal, or anything like that. We're going to talk about the game from the psychological perspective, from the tactical perspective, from the coach's decisions, and how and where the game got decided. Um, Raj, how are you, first of all? Not too bad, not too bad. As you said, busy few weeks. Um, but yeah, uh, this was a great game to cover. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get stuck into some interesting points. Yeah, we, well, well, we'll start in the first half because initially in the game, in fact, no, let's scrap that. Normally I come to you and say, let's, let's hear your thoughts. So let's hear your thoughts, your general thoughts on the game. Yeah, I thought there wasn't actually too much quality in the final third from both teams, but I thought Arsenal were the better team structurally in this match and in terms of how they minimised how many chances they conceded. There is a real classic Arsenal at home. It's become their identity where mm. they pen teams in and they don't leak any chances. That has become the classic Arsenal game and everyone goes on about this field tilt. While the field tilt was definitely an Arsenal favourite mm-hmm. play, they really um, did, did well in terms of not really giving them for anything uh, and that is good squad building I'd have to say that that's what, what it comes down to they've got great pro- defensive profiles in all their positions they are the best defensive team in the league in my opinion uh, the stats may say Liverpool conceded the least I don't know if that's still true after this game but Arsenal are the best structurally defensive team in the league I completely agree and I think it's that central area which we will definitely talk about they dominated the central area in this game um as for Liverpool, obviously not the game that they had planned. I think it was weird because in the first half, because of the individual errors, I was kind of like, there's not that much to talk about um, in terms of like game-changing moments because there's obviously the Jota moment with Gabriel for the goal, so sorry, Diaz, and then Liverpool, uh, Arsenal's goal um, comes from an area that I think we're going to discuss quite a bit is that right channel. Um, let's start with Arsenal. Jorginho came in, uh, Habits as the nine. That's a, definitely a talking point. Yeah, Kai, I think there's been a lot of uh, debate over Kai Havertz, the transfer fee. Of course, I think it was overpriced at 65 million, but I think you're seeing number nine is his best position. If you rewind all the way back to the start of the season, the Community Shield game, which also was a top team performance from Arsenal, Kai Havertz played number nine there. Then you look at the league game, Havertz came on as a number nine against City uh, at the Emirates again, and it changed the game, flipped the dynamics, and it won Arsenal the match. And today, Jesus' injury was a blessing in disguise for Arsenal. I thought mm. Havertz occupied Van Dijk and Canate better than any striker I've seen this season, really. And it's because he's very clever at timing those channel runs. He had a few chances today. I think there was a penalty shot and McAllister came uh, from that channel run down the left. And he's also brilliant at trapping aerial balls, either on his chest or even with his head and uh, flicking it onto someone. And yeah, I thought that worked out brilliantly. And defensively, he actually helped Arsenal even more because his timing of when to press is very good. He's got the long levers as well that he can stretch out uh, and stop people from going past him. So yeah, I think this might be the big game formula for Arsenal now. Kai Havertz at number nine. I think they finally found something there. 
I think what's fascinating is obviously the discourse on social media was that uh, Kai didn't play well, standard. But also, I thought. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, a lot of a lot of general fans. I'd say Arsenal fans. Obviously, they're on a massive high because they've won. They're all saying Kai's the best nine in the world. But the opposite fans are sort of going, "Ah, oh, now they're talking about Kai doing this, that, and the other." I think mm-hmm. narrative is a fascinating thing, and I'll put this in twofold. Gary Neville in commentary a, num- a number of times was sort of jumping on Kai Havertz. That's a poor touch from Kai. That's not great from Kai. I think you have to level your expectation on what you're watching. Kai Havertz is not going to t- trap the ball. 30 yards out and bend one in in the top corner. But that's also not his function. Um, mm. And then on the flip side, when I speak about narrative, Darwin Nunes, three weeks ago, if he was coming off the bench, oh, he's going to cause some problems, but you never know what you're going to get. And this week it was, oh, here comes Darwin Nunes. He's going to change the game. When in actual reality, it's probably more true on the first instance because he had the moment when he took on Kai Havertz in the box and was overly emotional and blazed this mm. shot over the top of the crossbar. Um, very quickly, back to the Kai Havertz thing. Because there was no Jesus, often Martinelli enjoys that battle against Trent, and I think it's safe to say he was uh, he was in full flow today. Yeah, I think the big difference is they've got Jorginho in the midfield, and that added another passer into the midfield, which then allows uh, Rice to come into a more of a advanced position and carry the ball sometimes, and then Martelli can also sometimes move inside. As a result, the, the dynamic was a lot better in the midfield. I think Jorginho Rice is their best combination. I think when there's no Thomas Partey, um, obviously they may need a bit more of a creative presence there, but I do think that helped. And Martinelli, as he said, he looks a bit better uh, in these last few weeks. He started with that substitute performance, good management from Arteta actually, brought him out of the uh, firing line, came on as a sub, scored two, and since then. He's actually looking a bit more confident as a player, Martinelli. Um, there were a few times where actually I got Havertz and Martinelli mixed up because they actually mm-hmm. made some similar runs in the central area. And that's what's been missing from Martinelli's game. And I think Arteta has gone back to basics. Let's get Martinelli in better positions in front of goal. And that's where he'd, he's at his best. Jorginho is a fascinating point because before the game we were texting each other and we said that right side is going to be a worry because there's no Zabosh life for Liverpool. Um, as for Arsenal, it would be advantage Arsenal because, of course, there was no Salah against Zinchenko. Uh, so there was that uh, added element. So Liverpool had to play Gakpo off the right-hand side, I think. And then at times it was Jota drifting out there. And then it was Jorginho in that sort of left channel controlling and dictating the pace of the game. Him and Rice did a great interview after where Rice said he's the calmest player on a pitch. I think that had a, a, as I mentioned at the start, we will talk about the psychological side. I think that had a psychological element to it because Arsenal weren't as rushed or as desperate even after the goal went in. Um, they still had that sense of calmness about them, which I think is important. That That's a factor of Jorginho's game that's very important that he brings to the table. Um, as for Liverpool on that side, uh, Gravenberg came in. And obviously we have spoken at length uh, off air about Gravenberg, but I think the balance just goes when you lose Gra- uh, Sabosli. 100%, 100%. I think what my issue with Ryan Gravenberch is, what is his standout trait? He is a very good ball carrier, but at the end of the carries, what does he do with the ball? And it's often some bad decision-making at the end of it. It's like his brain is frozen at times and he doesn't know what to do with the ball once he's got <laughs> in a bit of space or um, once he's created that space for himself. And the ball carrying alone will not get you... Uh, and make you a high-quality midfielder. He's got a lot of work to do. His passing is inconsistent. His defensive intensity, I've quoted a tweet from Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, that last season, he was very disappointed with Ryan Gravenberch's defensive work. Mm. And he said he was at fault for two goals against oh, Victoria wow. Pleasant last, last season. And he only came on as a sub. So this is not 
a Liverpool groundback thing. It's, it's followed him round. Tuchel didn't rate him like that either. And same with Nagelsmann. And I'm afraid Klopp and Pep Linders have fallen into the trap of seeing he's got some nice talents to work with. But he's missing the raw fundamentals of a Klopp midfielder, which Dominic Sabosli, on the other hand, has. Everyone expected Dominic Sabosli to be a different type of player coming in. They thought he was going to be some kind of game changer in terms of his long shots, his creative presence. But actually, Klopp has used him as his guy to tick off all the basics of midfield play. He's decent in deep areas, uh, adding an extra body, dynamically coming deeper. He's good at um, uh, keeping moves flowing in the final third. He very rarely makes bad decisions in tight spaces. Um, and also, his intensity and defensive work is phenomenal. He ticks the three boxes of a clock midfielder. And he was actually the bigger miss for me than Mo Salah today. Mm. I think Dominic Sabosli would have had a bigger impact on this game if he was fit. Um, and you saw even Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott has the eagerness to get there, but he doesn't have that same engine of a Dominic Sabosli where he can cover the ground so quickly. Um, so yeah, that was a huge miss for Liverpool today. Uh, and they definitely... There were a few times where the eights jumped out to press. And it actually happened for the goal. I think it was Jones this time. But... They left a man free in the middle and weren't able to cut off the passing lane to the to the Arsenal double pivot of Jorginho and Rice, or whether it was Inchenko in there sometimes as well. Uh, and it led to Arsenal playing through them for that goal, actually. And they definitely missed that. I think the best Liverpool midfield is definitely McAllister, Jones, Sabostai, and that balance was missed today. Yeah, and I, we literally just spoke about Jorginho adding balance to Arsenal's midfield and Havertz adding balance to Arsenal's front line. In a lot of ways, I think that was like a perfect 70 minutes from Arsenal the first sort of 44 45 minutes and then after um the probably 60th minute mark I felt like Arsenal in terms of balance were pretty structurally perfect Kiwior came on for Zinchenko which I actually think helped them uh in a way because initially when the change happened I thought oh I'm not too sure about that one um as for Liverpool I think the balance was completely out of place obviously Trent we 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 spoke about this off air and just said you know, like what other option could have Klopp had? Like we we spoke saying Gravenberg started, Gakpo started. We weren't too convinced on them uh, starting, and then obviously Gomez switches out to right back, Robertson into left back, and the dynamic of the game I think tilted at that point. If you look at the match momentum graph, actually Liverpool actually started getting more momentum at the start of the second half until 60 minutes, and that is when Klopp made the triple sub. I don't think that whole triple sub was incorrect. I thought the Elliot for Gravenberg was a viable sub because as we talked about Gravenberg's deficiencies, I thought the Darwin Nunez for Gagpo sub was correct because you needed that threat on the last line. I'm kind of baffled over why he didn't start, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and Cody Gagpo doesn't offer that last line threat. And that is the, one of the main ways to get through Arsenal. You can't go in the, through the middle against them. You have to sometimes go over the top and Liverpool missed that. But the third sub... I think, killed that momentum Liverpool was starting to build up. If you remember, Diaz and Jones had two shots which flashed narrowly wide at the start of that second half. But then the momentum went because Klopp had used actually a double pivot of Curtis Jones and McAllister at the start of that second half. And it was actually getting some good spells of possession and, and passing sequences. And they had Gomez adding his build up on the left, sometimes overlapping, sometimes coming inside, then Jones pushing on. Um, but then, obviously, with Trent off, Robertson goes to left back. Not a very good pass for the ball. So you're losing a possession body there. And then um, Gomez went to overlapping right back. So he wasn't involved in the build-up as much. So it was a double effect, really, with that, with that Robertson for Trent sub. But as you say, Klopp's hands might have been tied. The medical staff might have said to him, he's only got 58 minutes in his locker. 
or 60 minutes in his locker, uh, Jürgen. So that's why he might have taken him off. And there was no other backup right back uh, on the on the on the bench. So that that that, that might have been the issue. Yeah, I think the the difficulty there for Liverpool was when Gomez was coming inside as like the inverted left back. Um, to then flip that to Gomez being an overlapping right back and Robertson being a, a normal left back, like a f- sort of bombing on, it just changed the dynamic and the shape completely that actually allowed Liverpool to get back into mm. the game. Obviously, later on, Diaz moves into right back and then that's just a whole other story. Um, whereas I don't think Arsenal at any point changed how they wanted to play the game. I think if uh, if you offered Arteta that game again, he would have played it exactly the same. Whereas I think Klopp would have gone, I might have done this and I could have done that and I could have done, could have done this. Um, Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yeah, actually, we funny we talk about Klopp going to the inverted tactic this season. And it, obviously, he's gone back to overlapping right back with Connor Bradley recently. Um, but then he also stuck with overlapping right back, as you say, when Gomez came on. And I think he should have been a bit more flexible. And it's come from the fact that Mo Salah's out. So there's no natural mm. right winger. So the right winger's tucked in. So then you need the right back to provide the width. And there's no Sabochelai to provide width either as an overlapping eight. So that's why he's gone back to Gomez overlapping. Personally, if you're going to do that sub, I would have still inverted Gomez uh, and kept him in the build-up sequence. So that might have been the, the mistake that Cop may have made. Yeah, and I think also one thing that I sort of, uh, I tweeted this actually, uh, and we're going to talk about Van Dijk as well, and we will come back around to Arsenal. Um, I think, now obviously his hands might have been tied by the medical team, but I think if they weren't, and we don't know this for sure, I think substituting someone like Trent, who's got um, these uh, intangibles that you doesn't matter what's happening in the game, Trent can still mm. turn the game on its head. The moment you take Trent off, and you might have felt this, I certainly felt it with the last 15 minutes when it was um, 11 against 11, actually Liverpool had no way to goal, no route to goal. It was sort of like, can Gomez get round his man, but Gomez isn't going to put a cross in on a sixpence. And then can you get it into McAllister, who can you then get it into someone else? And that actually led to the red card. Harvey Elliott receives it on the a, on a right-hand side half space. And for whatever reason, decides to try and clip one in. Now you've got Saliba and Gabriel who are, and Rice as well who are dominant in that area, just in front of the, the goalkeeper. And they practically clear everything anyway. The moment you clip it into that area, I, I personally as a football fan go, that screams of like, I don't, we don't have a plan or a route to goal. Um, so yeah, the Trent situation, I think might have been different if he had another option. But I also agree, he maybe could have tucked Gomez inside. Um, it, it just felt like all the chess pieces were played very well by Arsenal and Arteta and not very well by Klopp, which is quite rare this season because we praise Klopp a lot. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think Arteta, he didn't actually tweak too much, but that's because he didn't have to. Uh, and they, the Arsenal had the running of the game other than that start of the second half. Um, and yeah, their defensive profiles really won out in the end. I think Saliba and Gabriel mopped everything up as that kind of cat and mouse duo. Um, and then, uh, as we saw, the Van Dijk-Allison thing. We talked about this uh, before the podcast. We've seen a few signs of Van Dijk uh, 
not looking at his Imperia's best. We saw in the Chelsea game, Sterling spun him in the left channel um, for the Mudrick chance. And also, there was that penalty chance where um, he mistimed his tackle on and Kunku clipped him from the back. And I know you've got mm. a theory on why that might be happening. Yeah, I think... this. Listen, it's impossible to say because we don't know that much about these guys. But my feeling is I always like Raj teeters towards um, tactics and I teeter towards psychology. Um, I just think Van Dijk is some of one of these guys that doesn't need to be overly stimulated to play football at the highest level. I think there's certain characters that do need to feel that way. Steven Gerrard is a primary example. When Steven Gerrard is overstimulated, he's like, just goes super saiyan. Like, you cannot stop this guy. I think players like uh, Lissandro Martinez, when he's super stimulated, he reaches a new level. Like, some of these guys need the motivation. They need the the fire burning to play at the level. Christian Romero in the World Cup final. Christian, exactly. Practically the whole Argentina team during the World Cup. I think Van Dyke is one of these guys that actually needs to stay below the stimulation line because that's how he functions. If you think about Van Dyke as a Liverpool player or just Van Dyke in his career, he's almost always been relaxed. He's almost always been chilled. He's almost never rash. And anytime I think Van Dyke is rash, I always think, I feel like he did something so out of out of pocket, out of character. And the reason I think there may be potential overstimulation is because of the whole Klopp thing. I think we're now in a situation where like, We've gone from the mentality monsters, but Van Dyke is still cool and chill, to Jurgen Klopp's going, everybody needs to get going because now we need to win everything. And my theory, obviously, I don't know the guy, so I can't say for sure. My theory is that might be causing a little bit of, um, I guess, I don't know the exact word for it, but have you ever done it in, like, you've all played football, something happens in a game. And out of nowhere, for a split second, you'll just charge over to someone to yeah, yeah, yeah. like take them out or something. That's called overstimulation, uh, where yeah. your brain suddenly also, just takes... It's also overcompensation. So you're compensating mm. for something that might be happening elsewhere. Um, and I think you're 100% right. He is a calm guy normally. And the Nkunku one particularly was a surprise for me. The way he's ploughed into the back of his foot. I've never, I, I did, He did that against Alexander Izak, actually, to get sent off against Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, maybe you're right there. I think I think it, it might be. It's tricky to say because equally, I think he says in his post match that that moment with Allison. I think today's is probably not the best example in in that moment for that goal. But I think the general performance is an example of that. I think today uh, for that goal, I think it's so split second. Like at the highest level, one of them's decided they're not going to kick the ball. That can happen all the time. But there's a few moments I think in the first half which we spoke about off air where it was like, oh, oh, that's very uncharacteristic of him. Um, so not not uh, perfect Van Dyke, if you like. Um, back to Arsenal very quickly. Um, where does this leave you from a tactical standpoint in terms of where Arsenal are? You said that Kai is the nine and that's got to happen. Uh, Jesus obviously was injured for this one, might be back soon. Uh, Kibior came on for Zinchenko. Jorginho has started, but we've often seen people get frustrated when Jorginho starts and it doesn't work out. Where 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 are you sat with Arsenal? Look, the key game is going to be Man City versus Arsenal at the Etihad. So I think that uh, the formula with Kai Havertz as nine has to stay for that game. Against the lower blocks, maybe you want a bit of Jesus and his technical ability in the tight spaces. But the big, tough matches, I'll be having Havertz as a nine. Jesus as a wing option, uh, either off the bench. Uh, yeah, probably off the bench with Martinelli and Saka on the wings. So I think that is a great tick box for Arteta after this game and also the two Man City games previously in the season. Um... I think the Rice-Jorginho balance is good. 
Um, and I think they've got an issue, slight issue at left back. They've still got mm. that issue. Is Zinchenko worth the, uh, his uh, cons in defending? Uh, is his passing ability compensating for that? They've got some. I thought Kivior looked solid today. That was a great sub cameo performance. Uh, even when Jota went to the right, he didn't get any change out of Kivior. Um, so, yeah, good performance there. I think tactically, I don't think we need to say see too much difference from Arsenal. I think their structure is very solid. It's just about can they convert their chances because they've been missing quite a few. Uh, even Cabot's for the goal, first goal, missed quite a bit of a sitter, to mm. be honest, and went to Bukhara Saka. Um, so that's something, it might have started clicking now. This might be the, the click for them. Um, and I have a feeling that Martinelli double against Palace, was it, a few weeks ago, that is, or Forest, one of the two, Forest actually it was. Um, let's double check this. No, no, Palace. Yeah, so Palace at home, that Martinelli double might be the turning point. Because if they get a goal scoring Martinelli, that's the key to their title trip hopes. Mm, I think I've previously tweeted to say that I don't think Arsenal have the killer in front of goal. I'm still pretty sure on that. That I think even today, despite the dom the dominant performance, the one one at half time probably showed a sign of why Liverpool can and stay alive in a league title because they have moments, uh, and Arsenal could fold because they also have negative moments that don't work out for them. Um, on Liverpool, obviously Salah will be back. I think for the next game, maybe not, maybe the one after. Um, just very quickly, actually, I just want to talk about Darwin Nunes. He comes on. Doesn't quite have the impact he wants. Uh, we said before the game he should have started. I'm still of the opinion that he should have started. I think Liverpool were a side that played direct so often. Declan Rice actually said after the game in his interview, uh, we know Liverpool like to play direct, so we had to stay switched on. I spent the whole of the first half thinking no one's running beyond the last man. Yeah, 100%. And I don't know if you saw before the game, I posted a video from the FA Cup match uh, where Nunes ran in behind from the left wing and Trent pinged the, pinged the ball over the top uh, to him. And I think this was also another error. I would have put Nunes on the left wing when he came on, causing Ben White issues with his movement in behind. He did that in the FA Cup tie. But Klopp put him on as a nine uh, for the most part, and Diaz on the left. Um, so that is another thing. I would probably put Diaz on the right, Nunes left, Jota through the middle, gluing things together. And then you could have put Gomez inverted. So that... That that was actually the, the mistake, I think, from Klopp. We, I think that that might be the mistake. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, Salah coming back, Trent in, uh, back. In the, this is another thing. Can they get Trent cooking back to the form he was prior to the injury? Because he, he was on fire, really. So that that's going to be important. And I think we know they need to keep Dominic Sabrosli fit. This guy is the glue in there. Uh, and they severely missed him today. Very quickly, that just brought a thought to my mind. You said the glue in there. Um, Thiago came on. And we've spoken a lot about this and said, you know, if Liverpool can get him fit, then it's a different question, different situation. The fact Liverpool have held him back for such a long time, whereas previously have rushed him back. Um, Endo is also back as well. Uh, I've, I'm really keen to know where the Thiago balance, what that looks like for you, because McAllister's in there and Endo and Curtis Jones in the form is like a Sabosli. Suddenly you've got five, probably four plus Endo. How do you, how do you make that balance work? I think the only position where Thiago can play really if Klopp is sticking with inverting Trent is as a six. I don't like him as the high attacking LCM uh, and I don't like him as the right side of eight either. So I think he will have to play as a six. But question is, is his defensive work going to be good enough with, with his ageing legs? I think at the very least, he's going to be a guy off the bench who's going to pro provide game-changing impacts. Um, mm. 
I think I think the most important thing from today's game though is psychologically what will this take out of Liverpool? As you mentioned, they have been on a kind of it's like a revenge tour really for Klopp in this last leg of the season. Um, have they gone too high and now been brought back down to earth? We'll see. We've seen their mentality in the past with Klopp has been phenomenal. This is going to be the important thing. Will they bounce back? They've still got that game against Man City at home. Uh, but yeah, their mentality will now be tested to the fullest uh, extent. Because I think if they do win a few cups, a couple of cups, that will not do the Klopp legacy justice. Uh, and not do the Mo Salah, Alisson, Van Dijk legacy justice either. They need to win the league this season for many reasons. And that includes uh, some of their individual players deserving a few more trophies, really. All right. Fascinating stuff. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode of The Insight, then uh, make sure you drop a like. You can reply to this if you're listening on Spotify and give us your thoughts. We will talk about it. Um, one of the next episodes you're going to hear is actually a Q&A um, a bunch of questions were sent in. So we're going to talk about general topics that have been sent to us. Uh, so that'll be very interesting. We'll probably do a few of those wherever we can. Uh, as always, if you've enjoyed this, as I say, uh, like and follow the podcast at No Ratings Pod. Raj, thank you very much uh, as, as ever. Um, and we'll see you guys soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.